you have your Bibles this morning, you want to turn, we'll have it up on the screen as well. Turn to Mark chapter 5, and uh, we'll in a moment we'll look at verses 1 through 5. I gave actually two titles. I, don't, I think there was just one that appeared on the screen. The first one was Nightmare on Gadara Street. But then I put, or oppression proof. And you can take the pick of the one that you want to name it. Nightmare on Gadara Street or oppression proof. And here, here's the text this morning, beginning with verse 1 of Mark 5. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him, Out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with chains because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. The chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out and cutting himself with stones. This morning, our discussion includes the encounter of the demoniac of the Decapolis. Now, he was only one among an ocean of darkened people on the other side of the Sea of Galilee who needed Jesus, but he certainly needed him. I guess you could say he could have been the poster child for darkness in that area. I think he's definitely one of the scariest characters that Jesus encountered during his ministry. Now, you know who I think of when I think of this guy? You may, I don't know what you think of, what you conjure, but who I think of when I think of this guy that was just described is a guy by the name of Freddy Krueger from Nightmare on Elm Street. Now, I don't know too much about Freddy Krueger in relation to his movies and the movies that were popular in whatever era it was, the 80s or the 90s. But our family had a personal encounter with Freddy Krueger. I remember that we had a Sunday school convention that we were going to do, and we chose Six Flags over Mid-America as a location to do it. This was back a lot of years ago, and it just so happened that it was in the fall, and it was around Halloween, and they had everything decorated at Six Flags for Halloween. Now, our boys were little, and we were so excited about taking them to Six Flags and not only the convention, but getting to do all the rides and the fun things that were going on, but we were walking through the main street of Six Flags over Mid-America, and they had different people in costumes and all, and all of a sudden, our boys, one of our boys noticed up on the rooftop, there was a creature that was following us. We looked up there, and sure enough, it was this Freddy Krueger character with the, you know, with the the hands that were the, I'm going to confuse it with scissor hands, but it's not. It's just the blades and 
all of those things. And I mean, he looked awful, terrible. And I have no idea why this happened, but they can, they can attest to it. My family can. For some reason, he singled us out. He decided to follow us specifically. And every time that we were trying, hoping that we could get the boy's attention to something else, this guy would be around and he, he was following us. I, I don't know if he thought we were having fun with it or whatever, but I mean, it, it almost threatened to ruin our time, uh, there until we got away from that. So the kids could enjoy everything else that was happening. So that's who I think of when I think of this. I, in reading the text, one phrase seemed to keep standing out to me. The line, no one could bind him, not even with chains. Now, that implies several things. I'll tell you really quickly. Number one, that implies that several had tried to restrain him, but he had resisted that. It also implies that they had good reason to try to restrain him. He was either hurting himself or he was obviously posing a danger to them and to the community, so they needed to get him somehow restrained. Number three, that it was important enough for them to do this in order to risk their lives to do so. In other words, we were dealing here with a life-or-death situation. And then fourthly, that they or their restraints, no matter what they tried, no matter what they were doing, they were no match for the power that was within this man. Now, I think we have plenty of evidence from this account that this poor man didn't want to be there. He didn't want to be in this situation. He did not want to be like he was. When we used to travel on the district circuit and go into churches, one of my favorite stories to tell was this. It seems appropriate right now. There was a man that purchased a very expensive dress shirt. He took it from the expensive shop and he went home. And the first time that he laundered it, it shrank up to about three quarters of its size. And he was obviously upset because he paid a lot of money for it. So he decided to take it back to the store. And so he took it in and he found the clerk who had sold it to him. And he said, you remember I bought this shirt? He said, yes, sir, I do. He said, uh, you remember the shirt? He said, yes, sir, I do. He said, look at this shirt. He said, what's wrong with it? The clerk thought for a minute. He said, well, it looks like it shrunk up. He said, you're right. And he said, now look inside. On the tag. What does that tag say? The clerk looked at it for a moment and he said, Well, it says shrink resistant. And the guy said, Okay, what does that mean? Well, the clerk thought for a minute and then he came up with his answer and he said, I think it means that the shirt will shrink, but it doesn't want to. You ever had a clerk like that? I don't know. This poor possessed man, he was shrink resistant. He was oppression resistant. He was possession resistant. He didn't want to be like that. 
how he had must must have hoped that things would work out. He 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 was re- oppression resistant, but let me put up here what he wasn't. He wasn't oppression proof. He wanted things to work out. He wanted to be free. He wanted someone to be able to control what was going on in his life. He wanted to get a hold of the ungodly urges and the unnatural actions. He wanted to, but no one could control him, nor could he control himself. And help, if it came, would have to come from another stronger source than him. Now, he lived in the rocky region of Gadara, which is runs alongside of and is a part of the Golan Heights and the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. Our text spoke of him. He lived among the caves and the corpses of the dead. He could be heard shrieking in the night, jangling chains that had been used to try to restrain him. It must have been quite a sight. Can you imagine how that affect property values if you lived near him? If you saw him up close, his naked body would reveal deep bloody gashes from where he had cut himself with stones and probably while foaming at the mouth. There's no doubt he had mothers clinging to their children. He had men keeping distance from him, and no doubt the city was afraid to go out at night. You know, this man's name is not revealed to us in Scripture. So what do you say we personalize him? Because I'm going to ask us to personalize him even more a little bit later, but let's personalize him for right now. Just today, just to, just to placate me, could we just call him Freddy? Let's call him Freddy. The one thing the community did know is this. Freddie was in bondage to the forces of darkness. Now, I wonder how this tormented soul would have reacted to the events of the night before Jesus' arrival. If you'll read back in Mark uh, chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, uh, he was no doubt up there prowling in the rocks and the cliffs, Overlooking the Decapolis, he was too afflicted to sleep. You know, that's one thing about being bound. You can put on a persona in public. You can put on a persona even for yourself through the day. But it often robs a person of peace. It robs you of rest. It can even rob you of sleep at night. And the night before, a horrifying storm was hitting the region of the sea that was a foaming frenzy out on the Sea of Galilee. Did you know that the Sea of Galilee, to many of those Gentiles, was known as the abyss? It was a place of unclean spirits. It was a place where uh, demons and darkness lived. And suddenly, in the midst of this frenzy, everything was still deathly quiet. And I think even in the abyss of his inflamed mind, Freddie knew that something out of the ordinary was happening. What could it be? And we know from reading before that it was Jesus saying, peace be still to the winds and to the waves before they came in to the shore and before they had this encounter. 
But you know, folks, I got to wonder if for a fleeting moment, the thought might have come into Freddie's mind. If that storm could suddenly become calm by an invisible hand, what about the storm that's inside me? Now, Freddie must have been watching Jesus when he and his disciples came ashore. For when he saw the Lord afar off, he knew him, the Bible says. Somehow, he, Freddie, knew this was Jesus, that he was the Son of God, that he had no doubt come the sea. And I believe that he wondered if this miracle worker might have come here because of him. I want to give you a critical key to victory. If you're going to, if you're here and, and you find bondage of any kind that's afflicting your life, something that's causing the quality of your life and especially the quality of your spiritual experience not to be what God intends it to be, not to be pleasing to the master, then this is a critical point you need to know in your part this morning. And it's this. When you feel his presence that has come here this day, go ahead and put it up. I think you've got a screen for it. When you feel his presence here in this house, you need to believe that he's come here for you. He's not just come here to bless the crowd. He's not just come here to bless the masses or the multitudes or to bless my brother or my sister, but he has come here because of my need. Let that soak into your heart. That's what I believe that Freddie had to believe. I believe he had to know that. And you know what? He got excited about that. You see the evidence of the struggle, the universal struggle that he had. It happens when anyone is fighting against something that wants to bind him, that wants to control him. He ran to Jesus and he began to worship him. That was Freddie. That was the heart of the one who wanted to be set free. The Bible says as he ran and did that, then the forces inside him began to rear up, attempting to drive deliverance away. And then he began to shout to Jesus, stop tormenting me. We've got to know that anytime something is attempting to dominate us, that struggle is going to be there. And you can't expect anything different when we come to a, an altar call in a few moments. It happens in a church service. It happens when you're trying to worship. It happens when you're trying to do something else, uh, to, pleasing to God. It happens when you try to get your mind and your heart in the right framework. It happens when the preacher is preaching and conviction tries to come in, but there's a battle that rears up. And the forces that don't want you to be loosed, they begin to battle. And that's exactly what happened in this man's life when he ran to Jesus. You see, that thing that we're struggling with, that thing that we've carried so long, sometimes it's become like a crutch to us. Sometimes it's become like a second companion to us, and we don't know how to live without it. We don't know how to get rid of it, and so it's going to struggle for survival. 
We're not sure what we would be like without it. But here's something that's vital for you to see and something that's vital to get into your spirit because you may see yourself like that, but God doesn't see you like that. And I want to show you from Scripture how God sees it. Notice how Jesus responds to Freddie. Once he worships him, and then all of a sudden, he rears up and begins to combat Jesus and say, stop tormenting us. Get away from us. Here's how Jesus responds. He immediately responds by speaking directly to the spirit of bondage. In this case, it was the devils, the legion of devils that were inside this man. And he asked, what is your name? Now, do you think Jesus was expecting to hear some other name? Do you think that Jesus uh, was expecting to hear the name, well, I'm Freddy? No, he knew what he was going there to hear. He knew what he uh, uh, he was going to hear, and he knew who he was talking to. And then that hideous voice comes out and says, I am legion, for we are many. Now, some say there were 2,000 demons in this man because there were 2,000 swine that they went into and they ran down over the cliffs and were destroyed. Some say, no, there were 6,000 because that was the number of troops in a Roman legion. But you know what? 2,000, 6,000, 2, 2 million, it doesn't matter. Big or small, every bondage was and is subject to the Lord's command. It doesn't. You think your situation is too tough for the Lord? You think, well, I've had this thing for so long. I mean, I've never been able to, to really get deliverance over it. And, 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 you know, maybe Jesus' power just can't quite reach it. See what he did here. Because here's the point, and let's put it up. Christ separated Freddy from that which had him bound. They were two separate entities. And that's what Jesus saw. And let me tell you how Jesus sees you today if you're struggling with any kind of bondage in your life. And we'll talk about some of the kinds of bondages that it can be here in a few moments. But here's how the Lord sees you. He sees you as separate from that which has you bound. He sees you for the person that you could be free and full of the life of God and the Spirit of God. He sees you as who you are and not as what that has made you. Please understand that. Well, I'm not worthy to come to Christ because of what's going on in my life. <clears throat> you think you could say that more than Freddie? No matter what is trying to control you. And let me get something straight here. 
your pastor will appreciate me clarifying this. We're not talking about you being demon-possessed. Freddie is our extreme example. And do you notice how the Lord does that a lot of times in the Scripture? He'll give you extreme examples. He'll give you the worst of the worst situation to know that nothing is too hard for him. And so he gave us an extreme example here uh, of, of what had him bound, and he, he just showed his power to be able to overcome it, that he can defeat the darkest of bondage. Now, in the first place, a Christian cannot be demon-possessed. If you believe that with me, say amen. And in the second place, the 99th percentile of unsaved people or people who are fighting against God or people who are rebellious against God, they are not afflicted with demons. They are afflicted with a universal disease called sin. And their bondage is because they are a sinner or because they're giving over to sin. It's not because there's a devil loose running around inside them. But if you are unsaved here this morning, if you're here and you're in a position that you're backslidden from God, you're not right with God, you are in bondage to sin. Plain and simple. And even if you're a practicing believer and and say, you know, I'm trying to live for God, I'm trying to do the things I need to do, you may be here and struggling with and wrestling with some things that want to bind you, want to keep controlling you, want to torment you. It may be things you've lived with for a long time. Brother Gary, what kinds of things are we talking about? Well, the list is inexhaustible, really. It may be an ungodly desire that keeps cropping up. You don't give in to it, but you give in to it a little bit more than you used to or whatever. Or it may be an inferiority complex. Oh, man, the devil puts a lot of that on people. It may be a sense of low self-worth. You may battle against a critical spirit that wants to rise up in you over people or over church or over business or over whatever it is. It may be a seed of doubt, and there's a seed of doubt, and I think this could be uh, uh, kind of uh, rampant in a lot of nominal Christians today, a seed of doubt that is God's word really true? Is it really, can he really do, and is he really all that he said he is in this word? Those can be bondages. It may be an addiction of some kind, anything from drugs to alcohol to tobacco to prescription medications to addictions to impure thoughts, addiction. Have you ever known someone that had an addiction to praise and flattery? Some people can't stand it if you, if they think somebody doesn't like them. It may be a spirit of discouragement, and I I could tell you that the era that we've lived in the last year and a half could could magnify that, a spirit of discouragement. It could be so many different things, 
bitter feelings towards someone. It may be a bad temper, struggle with honesty. You may be bound spiritually because you can't get your eyes off the failings of other believers. The list goes on and on. But here's the ploy. The enemy wants you to see yourself and the bondage you struggle with as one in the same. And people fall for it all the time. Let me let me tell you how people fall for it. Have you ever heard someone say, well, my dad was like that. He had a hot temper, so I must get it from him. Oh, by the way, he hit my mom, so, you know. Or what about, you know, depression tends to run in my family, so I guess it's not totally a surprise that I struggle with the same thing. Someone might say, well, I have a low tolerance for pain, and I need something. I, I, I need something to help me. Some might say, I overeat because I'm a nervous person. Or I think impure thoughts, but I don't act on them. You see, the enemy wants to deceive you into thinking that's just who you are. He wants to somehow normalize what's been happening in your life. Like the enemy, like the legions would like to normalize this life in Freddy. And the enemy is succeeding with people at an alarming rate. But Jesus separated Freddy from those entities that tried to control him. Christ spoke directly to those chains. And he commanded them to fall off. He didn't even condemn Freddie. He spoke to the chains that had him bound. And he said, Freddie, I'm going to set you free. Why did he do that? Because he doesn't want your life or my life to be controlled by anyone or anything but him. Can you say amen to that? Jesus Christ doesn't want your life or my life to be controlled by any other entity that competes with him. He didn't create you with those chains. And so that's why he's come today so that they might fall off. Now, in closing this message, let me show you what the Lord will do this very day for anybody wrestling for control of any area of your life. You say, well, pastor or preacher, who are you talking to today? I'm talking to anybody in this building, regardless of your status in Christ, how long you've served the Lord or whatever, are dealing with issues of areas of your life that are wrestling for control. And he wants to do it whether your potential bondage is little or whether it's looming large. He did it in the life of Freddie from the Gatherings. He met an overwhelming need in this man's life, and he did it with total victory. If he could simply speak the word and conquer a legion of demons, what you're wrestling with this morning, i got to tell you, it doesn't frighten the Lord.
He says, bring it on. And he says, bring it to me. I want the musicians to come back and begin to play softly. But I want to direct you to Mark chapter 5 and verse 15. We'll put it up on the screen. And I want to show you what Jesus did for this man. Mark chapter 5, verse 15, do you have it there? If not, I've got it right here. I can find it. Verse 15. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion, and he was sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. First of all, look at that. He was sitting. I doubt this poor, wretched man had been able to sit still for five minutes from the time he became, became entangled in this bondage. His life was no doubt tied up in knots. He had become subservient to those things inside him that were driving him. I don't imagine he even remembered what it was like before. How it felt to be unencumbered. How it felt to be normal again. But the Bible says when Christ touched him, they found him sitting with Jesus. You know what that word means? That word means dwelling with. It means residing with the master. And it was so abnormal what they saw in this man that they were shocked. Now often in scripture when people sat at meat with Jesus or banqueted with Jesus, they were reclining. And this may have been the case here. This man, and the point is, Freddie was at peace. Finally, there was obviously a physical change. If he shook before, he wasn't shaking now. There was an emotional release. He was no longer twisted and tormented inside. The delivering touch of the Lord made a tangible, noticeable, very real difference in the way he felt and the way he functioned. Can I ask you this day, who here desires to remember what it was like to be really free? Who's here this morning and desires to know what it's like to feel right again? What it's like to be normal again? And let me just pause right here because I didn't reference this, but some of you through this situation and through what we've gone through and Believe you me, I, I, I know it's real and I know it's something that we need to be cautious about and something we need to be practical about and we need to use common sense about. But some of you may be here and you've, you've kind of dived into a real spirit of fear. And it's been a while and you don't know what it's like not to be that way. And I want you to know God can deliver you from that today because he separates you from your fear. Secondly, he was also clothed. <laughs> Aren't you glad for that? 
As Freddie rang naked through the tombs, his body was exposed to sharp rocks, to jagged cliffs. He was unprotected and vulnerable. And I suspect that somewhere crowded in by that legion, Freddie was in there ashamed. Kind of like Adam and Eve were when they yielded to temptation. They felt ashamed. They were naked. They were afraid. And they were ashamed. It's sad that those stinging emotions, shame and fear, often keep us from the one place that we need to come. To our only refuge. The presence of Jesus. That legion tried its best to keep Freddie from Jesus, but once he got there, the rest was history, and deliverance was assured. You say, well, Brother Gary, what do I need to do? What's my responsibility? (laughs) Your responsibility is just to get your chains to the feet of Jesus. That's all it is. He'll do the rest. If you're in bondage to anything today, small or great, then you are like that one who is naked. You're kind of exposed. You're exposed to the element. The devil has declared open season on you in your vulnerabilities, and he wants to pile misery after misery onto you until you buckle under the pressure. He sees you as vulnerable, and he's put an open season on you, target on your back. But in the presence of Jesus, folks, Freddie was clothed, amen? His dignity had been restored. His hope had been restored. And he was now being protected and covered by the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And you know what that covering is? It is the precious blood of Jesus. Put that bondage under the blood. That's all the Lord asked. Here's the third thing I'm going to close. He was in his right mind. Before he met Jesus, Freddie howled at the moon. He hurt himself. He was violent and he was depraved. But look at this. Now his thinking processes have been restored. He can see things clearly. You know what one of the ploys of the enemy is? It's to alter your thinking process through deception and through prolonged exposure to binding forces in your life so that literally you may have an out-of-control temper, but you don't realize it. How many of you know some people that way? Boy, if they could only see what I see. They don't realize it. Or you may see some things with a critical spirit but it doesn't seem that way to you you think you're just making common sense and you're seeing things as they really are and that's how you reason you may have a dependency on carnal crutches but you don't believe that you have a real problem like someone else you may be feeling and feeding impure thoughts or actions. And it kind of comes automatically anymore and you do it without even realizing it or knowing it.
people may tell you and there may be warning signs, but you just don't see it. Freddie had 6,000 excuses why he was the way he was. And you know what it's time to do? It's time to leave the excuses at Jesus' feet and say, Lord, no more excuses for me. I just want to be free. I want to be restored. So he didn't use those 6,000 excuses. He dragged himself, excuses and all, to the feet of Jesus. And Christ restored the way that he was looking at things. He did it for Freddie, what he says in 2 Timothy 1 and 7. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You know what that word and phrase, sound mind, means? It means oppression proof. Hallelujah. Father, I'm praying this morning for those who are here. And something needs to happen in their life. Lord, they probably didn't even realize as they got up and got ready to come to church this morning, and certainly the devil didn't realize it. God kept the wool over his eyes. That they were going to have an opportunity to have a freedom encounter with you like this. But Lord, it's here. The opportunity's here. And I'm praying individually for every person in this building, Lord, that they'll search their own heart and their own spirit. And they'll say, Lord, don't let me be deceived. Lord, don't let me don't let me just smooth over, God, what's happening in my life and try to normalize it. Lord, I know it's not your will. I know it's not your plan. And I know, God, you'll have no other gods before you. And, Lord, I need to see you let these chains drop off. While you're there in the presence of the Lord with heads bowed and eyes closed, let me tell you a very quick, true account This was back in the 1990s. And I had a minister friend by the name of David Stevens. He was here in Ozark, Missouri and pastored for quite a while before he went to Eastside Assembly in Tucson, Arizona. Some of you will know his name. Your pastor would know Dave. He passed away in 2004 of colon cancer. But back in the 1990s, around 1997, they were caught up in the spirit of revival that was coming through their church. And there was a lot of praying and tearing in the altars. And he had a layman by the name of Brother Caldwell, Adam Caldwell, that was in his church. And Brother Caldwell was, I mean... According to Dave, he was a model of a Christian, a believer, a helper, a saint of God. And they had an altar call after a revival meeting one night. And he noticed that Brother Caldwell had slipped up to the front and tears were coming down his face. Brother Caldwell lifted his hand in praise to the Lord there. And Dave 
and the evangelist just simply went by and the moment they touched him he fell out in the floor and he was out for over an hour they didn't think too much about it because that was the kind of thing that was happening in that day but it was in the next publication of uh, a, a publication that he was the editor over. It was called Good News Publication for Arizona. It was there that Adam Caldwell made the admission that when he went down to the altar that night, it was because that since the age of 16 years old, he had been helplessly, hopelessly addicted to pornography. He said it had gotten so bad and so much a part of his life that even in his business, it would, it would come into his mind. It would flash in his mind. And even in church services at times while he was trying to worship the Lord, those grotesque images would come across and torment him. And he went to the altar that day believing someone could loosen his chains and he said that night God freed me totally he said I've never had even another thought another inkling he said it turns my stomach the thought of anything like that in my life Aren't you glad that Brother Caldwell was aware enough to know that even though every person in that room thought he was the top scale of Christian people, that he was aware enough to know that he needed the touch of the Master's hand, that he needed deliverance and for change to be set free. I don't know what more that I can tell you this morning. From the very beginning, God began to set this up. From the very beginning, when I knew I was coming here, he began to tell me what I needed to focus on. And so the rest belongs to you. Father, I pray if there's anyone here today that needs release from anything in your life. Lord, the last thing that the house of God should be is a house of judgment, and we just bind any spirit of judgment at all today, Lord. And we say, listen, we just want people to be set free. No matter what it is, they don't have to tell us what it is. God knows what it is. God knows what he needs to separate from the wonderful person that he has created in you. And God's going to do that sorting. And Father, I just pray today that you would help those to respond to you, Lord, who need their chains to fall off. Let me ask with heads bowed and eyes closed. And I'm going to say this because I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to give you an opportunity to do it in this age of COVID the way you're most comfortable with. But I will tell you, there's nothing like an experience of coming down to this altar and experiencing these chains fall off right here. And so if you want to do that, these altars are going to be open to you, and I'll pray with you.
but I'm going to ask in the house with no one looking around and whether you come down or not, is there somebody I can join together in prayer for you and say, Lord, in the name of Jesus, these chains are going to fall off this day. How many of you want to lift your hand and say, it's me. I need, I need the touch of the Lord. Oh, goodness. Thank you. Hands are, are being raised. Hands are going up. Keep them up for just a minute. No one's looking around. Just, just, just ask the Lord. Say, Lord, see my hands. See me. Lord, I know you tell him you, you know that he's come here for you today. I know you've come here for me, Lord. And Lord, today I submit myself. I submit my life. Lord, I want to be set free from anything that's going on. You can put those hands down now. Is there anybody here and you say, Brother Gary, I, I didn't ever intend to admit this today, but I, I'm not right with Jesus. I'm just not where I need to be with God. I'm kind of running. I'm kind of being rebellious. Or maybe I, I'm not fully come the way that the Lord has asked me to come to accept His forgiveness and eternal life. Is there anybody here that would lift your hand and say, pray for me? Because I, I really would like to do that before I leave today. I don't want to be, thank you, other hands today. We're going to stand, stand with me, and we're going to sing a chorus. And if there's anybody that wants to, you just say, you know what? This experience is going to be more real for me. It's going to be more precious for me. If I, if I just walk down to this altar and either stand or kneel, I want to do that. Then while we sing a chorus, you come on down. Otherwise, I'm going to conclude this service by praying for all of those that raise their hands. But I will pray for you individually as well if you want to come this morning while you sing, Chrissy.